The White House is finally opening up. They are finally talking about it. The most significant widespread phenomenon to hit the country all year. The White House is finally addressing the social contagion of Let's Go Brandon. One last question, if I can quickly. Across this country, we've seen this new phenomenon lately, chanted at sporting events and on signs. The phrase is, let's go Brandon, a sort of code for a profane slogan attacking President Biden. What does the president make of that? I don't think he spends much time focused on it or thinking about it. He doesn't, he doesn't spend much time thinking about that. Maybe he should spend a little time thinking about it. Maybe if he spent a little more time thinking about why tens of thousands of people at every game and concert in the country have for weeks been telling Brandon to go-go himself, maybe then his approval numbers wouldn't be at historic lows and setting the stage for a potentially historic drubbing in the midterm elections. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. My favorite comment on Friday is from Real Life Outdoors, who says, you know what the best part of this whole Rittenhouse trial is? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Remember the day when you realized that you live in a Kafka novel. <laughs> That's true. What's the silver lining here? I get, look, something has to be the best part, even if it's just terrible, right? What, what's, the, what's the best part of, of, you know, getting a flat tire? I don't know. At least it's not raining or something. And here, at least it looks like Rittenhouse might get off the hook. But I, I agree. The fact that this trial can happen in the first place is an indictment of the country and it really overshadows whatever that silver lining is going to be. We got to think of the good old days, those happy memories. When you want to preserve them into the future, I'd strongly recommend you check out Legacy Box. Legacy Box is the best way to preserve your past. This makes a great Christmas gift in particular because it'll protect a lot of wonderful past Christmas memories and all sorts of memories and your, your videos and your photos and all those physical media that are decaying right now and at risk of fire or flood or just getting lost. Well, what Legacy Box does is you send in all those physical media and they digitize your moments onto a thumb drive, the DVD, uh, or the cloud. It's like magic. And if you're like most people, there's that one box you'd run back into your house to grab because it's got all your memories and it's filled with videotapes and film reels and photos. These sentimental, meaningful, irreplaceable moments. No amount of money can replace them. Well, send them into Legacy Box. Each item is digitized by hand. They keep you informed. They're trusted by one million people. It's easy and safe. And you get the physical media back afterward. I, I love it. I thought I lost every photo of my mother and I, I did find them, sending them right in to Legacy Box. Legacy Box is giving our listeners early access to their Black Friday sale. Go to LegacyBox.com slash Knowles to unlock an exclusive discount for Black Friday. LegacyBox.com slash Knowles for the best deal of the year. LegacyBox.com slash Knowles. The numbers for the Democrats are devastating. Okay. And we always say, well, maybe I don't believe the polls. Maybe the polls are slanted. Right. The polls are slanted for Democrats. So the fact that the numbers are this bad for Democrats means they're even actually worse for Democrats in reality than are reflected in the surveys. Washington Post ABC poll. If the midterm elections were held today, the GOP would be in an historically strong position. Uh, right now, uh, this poll, this was released on Sunday, found that if the midterms were held today, registered voters would vote for Republicans for Congress over Democrats 
by a 10-point margin, 51% to 41%. WAPO calls this, and quote, historically strong result for Republicans. Uh, Biden's approval rating, so this is just focused on the president, it's 12 points underwater. Only 41% of registered voters approve of the job he has done as president. 53% disapprove of the job he has done. Brutal news for Democrats, but don't get too excited. I promise you the GOP will find some way to squander this, okay? <laughs> the Republican Party will find some way to squander this huge advantage they have right now. They're going to make it about socialism or some other nonsense. They're going to they're gonna take all of this historic momentum and support and the grassroots movement on the ground to protect kids in schools and to get the CRT and the transgender theories out of schools. They're going to find a way to squander it and make this about corporate tax cuts. Okay, now are they, gonna, are they going to so squander their advantage that they actually lose the election? Probably not, but they will figure out some way to screw this up. This is just what they do because they believe that it is much better to avoid all of the social issues that actually help them win elections. They think it's too dangerous. And if we talk about critical race theory, that might turn off some suburban people and, you know, and, and it might not seem really fancy and make us seem like, you know, sophisticates at the cocktail parties. And we better not talk about any, you know, abortion. That's so divisive, isn't it? And we better not talk about family and marriage. That, mm, that's, that's yucky. Let's just talk about cutting taxes for billionaires who hate our guts. That's a good idea, right? The thing you got to remember, and the thing I hope the Republican Party remembers as it looks toward the midterms, is that sometimes the apparently safest issue is not the safest issue. The safest tactic very often is not the safest tactic. Talking about tax cuts or running a campaign like Romney 2012, that might seem like the safest campaign because you're not making any sudden movements. You're not going out on a limb. You're not risking anything, but it's, it's only going to safely put you into second place. Think about it when you're driving. Sometimes when you're driving, and I don't want to sound sexist about it, but this might be a little bit of a difference between male drivers and female drivers, right? Just <laughs> to talk about the difference between men and women. Sometimes male drivers will be more aggressive and sometimes female drivers, such as my wife, will not like this very much. And she'll say, don't, don't hit the accelerator so much, go a little slower. But sometimes when you're driving, to be a little more aggressive is actually the safer option. If it's you and a Mack truck and the Mack truck is, is about to enter onto the highway and you're driving, you want to get a little bit ahead of it. It's actually safer for you to accelerate a little bit, get ahead of that truck so that it's not going to come and smack you in the side. And the GOP needs to learn that lesson. Sometimes you've got to accelerate on an issue like education, critical race theory, transgender theory. I'll, I'll use another analogy. I'll mix my metaphors. When you're playing blackjack, you are guaranteed to lose. The house is guaranteed to win. You are guaranteed to lose unless you play the the good hands you get in the right way. You split when you're supposed to split. You double down when you're supposed to double down. If you do that, you're almost even odds. The House still has an advantage. The Democrats still have an advantage. But if we press our advantage, if we press the few advantages that we get, we actually have a chance of winning. Have I given enough metaphors on this? GOP, don't squish. Good grief. Speaking of goofy swamp Republicans, Liz Cheney, 
Liz Cheney, she's at it again. She's up to her usual tricks. Ted Cruz, our, our pal Ted Cruz, made a joke about Liz Cheney. CNN asked implausibly if Liz Cheney has a lane for the 2024 <laughs> presidential race. And Cruz made a joke and said, yeah, she has a lane in the, in the Democrat primary. So Liz Cheney responds and says this, I know you're posturing for the secessionist vote, Ted, but my party, the Republican party, saved the union. You swore an oath to the constitution, act like it. My party, I'm the Republican. You're a fake Republican, Ted Cruz. You're a fake Republican, Donald Trump. You're a fake Republican, all the people who actually still vote Republican and support the people the Republican party supports. But me, Liz Cheney, frequent appearant, guest on, on CNN and ABC and NBC and in the Washington Post, and I'm the real Republican. I, who do Nancy Pelosi's bidding, I'm the real Republican. It's not true. It's not true. I know that Liz Cheney is still registered with the Republican Party. I know that historically she's cast at least a lot of votes for Republicans. Most votes for, not, you know, she's not the most right-wing person, but most votes, sure, she's voted with the Republicans. But practically speaking, Liz Cheney is a Democrat. This is, when I talk about the court jester conservatives, people like her, like Adam Kinzinger, like the never Trumpers, I think there are three of them left in the world. They are practically Democrats. They might vote Republican 99% of the time. And they can still be these court jesters. They can still practically be Democrats. Because at the crucial moments, on the crucial votes, at the decisive places, they side with the Democrats. Yeah, Liz Cheney, she'll vote for all the tax cuts in the world. But when it comes to the January 6th commission that seeks to delegitimize half of this country, she's going to side with the Democrats. When it comes to the presidential contest, the Republican versus the Democrat, she's going to side with the Democrat. She, and, and has in recent years. Okay, and so there's nothing, look, there's nothing really unusual about someone leaving a political party. People have done that throughout history, okay? I don't, I don't begrudge Liz Cheney leaving her political party or spending all of her time criticizing the Republican Party that she still stubbornly won't leave. But it is ridiculous to pretend that she is now still representing the Republican Party. It's not true. The only people who even pretend to support her at this point are Democrats. And they're going to throw her out the second she's no longer useful to them. No Republicans support Liz Cheney. Liz Cheney doesn't support Republicans or Republican or the Republican Party. So she's gone. Please save me your sanctimony, Liz. You got to get aggressive, okay? And you've got to be able to push forward on the issues that are going to help Republicans right now. You're seeing this happen in Florida. You're seeing this happen around the country, but, but especially in Florida. Okay. Do not be like Liz Cheney. Be like Ted Cruz. Be like Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis right now, through government force, through public relations, through the backbone that he's got, has managed to win a major fight with the Florida school district over mask mandates. All right. You, you've got to keep your kids safe. You've got to keep your whole family safe in your house. And that's why I would recommend you check out Ring. The holiday season is upon us. And you know what that means? Your in-laws are going to show up. Wouldn't you like to know when that will occur? Well, you can with Ring. 
You know, I, now listen, I'm not saying you're not going to open the door. Okay. I'm just saying that when, whether you're in your home or at the office or on a beach, you can know when your mother-in-law shows up and you can make your own decision. Okay. The ring video doorbell is all about empowering you, or it could be the delivery guy or whoever, whoever it is. All right. You can get a lot of packages. Well, ring makes the powerful ring alarm. So it's not just the video doorbell. It helps you keep an eye on every inch of your house inside and out. It's so easy to install. You can do it yourself for the cost of a year of protection with Ring Alarm. That's that's basically just one month of protection with those other expensive companies. Head on over right now to ring.com slash Knowles. Deck the halls, walls, doors, and windows with the best deals of the year. Ring.com slash Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, to get a great deal on your Ring Alarm security kit today. A Florida school district has finally, finally dropped its mask mandate for students. This is after the school district suspended an eight-year-old girl 38 times. 38 times for not wearing the mandate. Now, you'll remember that Ron DeSantis, governor of Florida, said that schools do not have the right to issue blanket mask mandates without exceptions. The school district said, forget about Governor DeSantis, we're going to do it anyway. The little girl said, and I assume the girl's family, said, no, we're going to follow what the governor said. We're not going to do it. And second grader Fiona Lachelles was suspended 38 times. And now the, the mask order is gone. This is following a ruling from Division of Administrative Hearings Judge uh, Newman, uh, who declared that the Department of Health's emergency rule, the DeSantis rule, is valid. Here is the little girl appearing side by side with Governor DeSantis. I'm not wearing a mask because you touch it and you have germs on your hand and then you put it on your face and breathe in all the germs. That's right. So, so Governor, I remember in the summer you signed an executive order uh, that mask, ma- mask wearing was optional in the public schools, but then the Palm Beach County schools said, you know what, you got to wear a mask. So, you know, kids like Fiona are caught in the middle. So we've had a lot of litigation uh, since then. Fortunately, we're winning all these cases, uh, Steve. And I'm going to have a, a legislative session come in, a special session, primarily to deal uh, with protecting people's jobs against COVID vax uh, requirements. Uh, but we're also going to address this issue of our parents' bill of rights and making sure that we have strong teeth in it so that if you have a situation where Fiona's forced to do this and that's not something her mother wants her to do, then the parent ultimately makes a decision. So we are going to strengthen that and we're going to make sure that folks are able uh, to go to school in the best possible way for them and for their learning experience. Ron DeSantis is such a talented politician. It is ridiculous. He just, one, he knows how to keep himself in the national conversation just about every single day. Two, he knows to appear on screen with this very sympathetic young girl, this eight-year-old girl who's being attacked by her school district for just trying to breathe the fresh air. And three, and this is the most important one, this is the lesson we need to take. The guy is persistent. Okay. Most Republicans go squishy, right? Most Republicans go squishy basically from the beginning and they negotiate against themselves and they don't fight that hard and they let the Democrats run run all over them. Some Republicans will push hard for a little bit and they'll get an executive order through. 
and they'll get, maybe they'll get some ruling through and it'll just be one thing and then it's done. But then what happens? Because the Democrats are very persistent. All those Republican victories just get chipped and chipped and chipped away at. What DeSantis is doing, he issued his, his mask mandate saying, or his anti-mask mandate mandate saying that the schools don't have the right to implement these kind of policies. But then he kept fighting them. Every single time a school would violate his, his rule, he would take them to task in the court of public opinion, in the court of law. He would go on TV with an eight-year-old girl. And because of that, because he's matching the Democrat persistence with his own, he wins. It's a major victory. And I strongly suspect other Republican politicians are going to follow him. Even, even the cautious ones. Because I think they're learning the lesson that sometimes being cautious is not the most cautious policy. Sometimes playing it safe is not the safest way you can play it. Sometimes actually getting a little aggressive is a safer way to play it. Great politics. Now, speaking of Democrats abusing kids, they're doing it. They're doing it. The libs, like we said they would, like we all predicted, the libs are defending pedos. They are. And you always hear about the conspiracy theories of the Democrats and the pedophiles. Well, sometimes it's not a conspiracy theory. Sometimes it's a a conspiracy theorem. You know, sometimes (laughs) it's a conspiracy fact. And the Democrats, I shouldn't say the Democrats, I should say the libs more broadly, are defending pedos. A non-binary, also known as very confused, professor of sociology and criminal justice at Old Dominion University, someone named Alan Walker, has now gone viral, thanks to our friends at Libs of TikTok, uh, defending pedophiles and pedophilia and attractions toward kids, which he says we need to be far more sensitive about. We need to stop using this loaded term pedophile and start calling these people maps. I use the term minor attracted person or map uh, in the title and throughout the book for multiple reasons. Um, First of all, because I think it's important to use terminology for groups that members of that group want others to use for them. Um, and MAP advocacy groups like Before You Act um, have advocated for use of the term MAP. Um, they've advocated for it primarily because it's less stigmatizing than other terms like pedophile. Uh, a lot of people, when they hear the term pedophile, they automatically assume that it means a sex offender. Uh, and that isn't true, and it leads to a lot of misconceptions about attractions toward minors. Um, I've definitely heard the idea that you brought up, though, that the use of the term minor attracted person suggests that it's okay to be attracted to children. Uh, But using a term that communicates who someone is attracted to doesn't indicate anything about the morality of that attraction. Doesn't indicate anything about the morality. It's just really stigmatizing, you know, and we shouldn't have any stigmas around anything at all according to our modern liberal society, including pedophilia. There should be no stigmas. What can can he do? There's nothing immoral. And, you know, let's follow this guy's logic, illogic, to its logical conclusion, or its illogical conclusion. Why why is it immoral? Why is is an attraction toward a, a a minor. Why is it immoral? If you're not sexually abusing the minor, why is it? Let's say you're just looking at, um, you're looking at a bunch of kiddie porn. Why is that immoral? Okay. Well, you could say it's immoral because obviously children were abused in the production of that pornography. Okay. What about if it's computer generated? Let's say it's, um, 
a cartoon, let's say that it's, and now, you know, technology is so advanced, let's say it looks real, but it's not actually real. No children were harmed in the production of this creepy stuff. We all suspect that would be immoral. We all know deep down that that would be immoral to do that, to look at that kind of material, to indulge those kinds of thoughts and attractions. But why? Why? In our modern world, we're told that the only thing that matters is consent. And so, okay, you're going to tell me that kids can't give consent. First of all, the libs don't even believe that themselves. uh, Libs not only believe that the kids can consent to sexual acts, they believe they can consent to sexual mutilation and surgery. They believe a five-year-old can mutilate his own body so that if he's a boy, he can look more like a girl or vice versa. He can know his true gender, even, even even if his true gender has nothing to do with reality. But okay, let, let's say that now you're back to kids can't give consent. Well, why is it wrong for an adult creepy man like that person or someone like him to look at material that depicts children in sexual acts, even if it, if it doesn't use real children? Why is it wrong? Because consent isn't the only thing. It, it, you, you need consent, but there's more, it, there are some things that are objectively wrong and objectively disordered not just as some quirk of psychology, but morally as well. And some desires are wrong. And if, you, if those desires are unwilled, if those desires are involuntary, we all have certain involuntary desires, whether it's for some creepy stuff like this guy or whether it's for too many cupcakes, some of our desires are going to be disordered. And so if we don't will them, it's not, not a sin exactly, but we certainly shouldn't indulge. It would be a sin to indulge those desires or those fantasies or those thoughts. That would be wrong. But because we don't have any of that moral language anymore, because we're not allowed to talk about sin and grace and vice and virtue, all we ever talk about is this kind of basic, shallow consent or the kind of materialistic stuff about quirks of psychology or mental health, because we can't actually talk about morality anymore. Now you've got the libs defending pedophiles because they were born that way, they say. And because we're told that our desires never change and we can't shape our desires. You're just, you're born that way and you've always got to indulge your desire. And if it feels good, do it. And you should never repress anything. Well, okay. If that's true, I think that's crazy, but that is the idea of the sexual revolution that's been building for 70 years now. So if that's true, then we should destigmatize the pedophiles, right? And if we shouldn't destigmatize the pedophiles, as I think we could probably all agree we shouldn't, then maybe we need to rethink all the other premises of the sexual revolution too. Looking around our society today, I think we need to rethink a lot of things. Just look at the gas prices. Look, just look at, at the gas pump when you go fill up your car. Probably need to rethink that. One way you can rethink that in a really practical way, go check out Get Upside. Get Upside. That is both a command and the name of the app. It's Get Upside. Right now, my listeners are making up to 25 cents for every gallon of gas every time they fill up. Just download the free Get Upside app in the App Store or Google Play right now. Use promo code Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S. Get a bonus, 25 cents per gallon on your first fill up. That is up to 50 cents cash back. Do not pay full price at the pump anymore. Get cash back using GetUpside. Use promo code Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, to get 50 cents per gallon cash back on your first tank. People who drive a lot right now are making as much as two to 300 bucks in cash per month. And it gets added right to your account. It goes to your bank account or PayPal or an e-gift card for Amazon or other brands. 
Super simple. Download the free GetUpside app. Use promo code KnowlesCanadaWLES. Make it a little bit easier to deal with these rising gas prices. With promo code Knowles, you can get up to 50 cents per gallon cash back on your first tank. That is code Knowles. Also, subscribe and start listening to Morning Wire on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Leave a five-star review if you like what you hear. We'll be right back with a lot more. I've heard a criticism from the left that uh, accusations of pedophilia from the right are like accusations of racism from the left. And, and all the farthest fringe theories on the right, they very often come down to pedophilia. And the furthest fringe theories on the left, which are now completely mainstream, they often come down to race and everybody's a racist. Okay, that, fair enough. I mean, the only thing I'll say is it's not just fringe lunatic professors on the left who are covering up and encouraging the sexual abuse of kids. It's the mainstream left too. This headline from the New York Times astounded even me and my expectations for the gray lady are pretty low. They're about as low as they can get. Here's the headline. How a school district got caught in Virginia's political maelstrom. Subheadline. Loudoun County tried to address racism and promote diversity within its schools. Then it found itself on Fox News. First of all, that's not true. The the media institution that took down Loudoun County and uh, affected the election was not was not the, that cable news network. It was the Daily Wire. And it was our story that was not about addressing racism and promoting diversity and tolerance and inclusion. It was a story about a rape in a transgender bathroom. That's what it was about. It was a story about a, a guy wearing a skirt raping a ninth grade girl in a bathroom. And, th- and it wasn't even just about that. Terrible crimes happen. It was about the cover-up that the school then engaged in. That's what it was about. Evangelical Christians objected to a proposal to give transgender students access to the restrooms of their choice. Complaints that were magnified when a male student wearing a skirt was arrested in an assault in a girl's bathroom. He was, a male student wearing a skirt was arrested in an, oh, you mean a dude raped a girl. And people didn't bat an eyelash that he was in there because boys are now allowed in the girl's room because of the transgender bathroom policies. This is the extreme version of Republicans pounce. Do you know Republicans pounce? You know this phenomenon? This is when Democrats get caught in a scandal or a crime. And the headline is not Democrats commit crime. The headline is Republicans pounce on Democrats committing the crime. So the, all of the focus is on the Republicans taking what they suggest to be an illegitimate advantage. They're exploiting Democrats committing this crime. I'm not saying that the New York Times is eager for kids to be abused or anything like that. I'm saying they don't care about kids being abused and they are much happier with kids being abused if that is the price of them pushing through their agenda, than they would be in sacrificing their agenda to protecting kids. The headline says it all. So, so you want to talk about exploitation. 
when, when it's, uh, you know, just the, the usual Democrat gets caught in some usual scandal and then Republicans pounce, that's one thing. But this, to, to turn the, the real story, the work that the New York Times should have been doing themselves on Loudoun County to then attack other media organizations. And they don't even get the name of the organization right. It was the Daily Wire they're coming after. If, for, for them to do that is, is a new low. Speaking into the mainstream media, going into overdrive to reclaim the narrative. Don Lemon. Don Lemon is very, very upset about the biggest story. I can't, this is the longest we haven't talked about it in any show in probably two weeks. The Rittenhouse story, you know, where all of the evidence is on the side of Kyle Rittenhouse, that young man in Kenosha, Wisconsin, who shot the Antifa people who were trying to murder him. Uh, all of the evidence is on his side. None of the evidence is on the prosecution side. It seems like the case is falling apart before our very eyes. And Don Lemon, he's really upset about that. He wants to know what would happen if Kyle Rittenhouse were a black kid. Just want to leave people with a picture here. Are you going? Imagine <laughs> if Kyle Rittenhouse was an 18 or 17-year-old black kid. Well, that's a different issue. What with a gun. That? Talk about that. Right. How would people feel? How would the judge treat him? Well, How would pundits think about this, this case? Or what about the people on the right who are making Kyle Rittenhouse out to be a choir boy because he went across state lines, inserted himself into a, a situation where he, that he had nothing to do with, was carrying a gun that he wasn't supposed to carry because it was, he was too young. It was illegal for him to carry that gun. And he wanted to, he wanted to do it because he was cool. Uh, the black kid did that. Killed two people and injured another person. How would America feel about that? First of all, the hypothetical. What would happen if a, if a young black man, let's say a young black man in these very riots that, that Kyle Rittenhouse went to, what would happen if he had a gun or some weapon and were committing violence? How, what would happen then? We know what would happen then. They'd get off the hook. That's what would happen. That's what's been happening for, for most of the people that were involved in the BLM riots last year. You saw it especially in, in the Bronx and in Manhattan. People be pleading down, having much more serious charges now, just be minor trespassing or some, some lower charge. What would happen if a young black man were looting or robbing or mugging people or killing people during the BLM riots? What would happen? Nothing would happen. They'd, they'd, they'd face very lenient prosecution. And, the, and the, they would get cover from the media who were saying they, they were involved in anti-racist protests, which is not what happened. But let's, let's take this further. Let's not just compare things that share some similarities. Let's say that Kyle Rittenhouse himself were a black guy. So not a young black man showing up to the BLM side and protesting for BLM, not a young man showing up and joining Antifa, but a young black man showing up to his place of business with an AR-15. He's clearly more conservative. He's there. A young black man who, who shoots some Antifa people who are trying to attack him. How would, how would the right react? The right would love that guy. The right would defend that guy every bit as much as they are Kyle Rittenhouse. And we all know it. One, because the evidence would be on his side. But two, because he, the guy would be on our side, right? <laughs> right? Of course, conservatives love black people who support conservatives. Don't we? Well, I thought the left was just attacking us for that, that we like Thomas Sowell too much, or we like Candace Owens too much, or we like, or we like this woman who won in, in Virginia, the Lieutenant Governor of Virginia, Winsome Sears, 
Remember, there were all these headlines. White supremacists always love black conservatives. Oh, yeah. So what would happen if the, if the Kyle Rittenhouse case, if that were a young black guy? Well, all those conservatives who the left says are white supremacist, evil, they would, by their own logic, they would support him, right? Right. Now, it just so happens all the evidence would be on his side too. And it just so happens that the right wingers are not white supremacist, evil, whatever nonsense. But I just think even on the point Don Lemon's making, he's not right. Because the thing that matters here is substance as well as form. Okay. For the left, it's, it's just about form, I guess. It's just about how someone looks, the kind of superficial similarity. What about the substance? What are these guys fighting for? It's a big difference. If a guy shows up to a BLM rally or an Antifa rally with a gun and starts aggressing on people, I'm going to have a very different view of him than if someone shows up to that same rally on the side of the business owners, on the side of the civilians, on the side of the conservatives, and is not aggressing, but actually just defending himself. I guess they both, in both cases, they both look like a guy with a gun. But what they are there doing is very, very different. It's just so cheap. You know the libs are getting desperate because they're, now they're just making it all about race. By the way, Kyle Rittenhouse, the only people Kyle Rittenhouse shot are white guys. If he had shot a black guy, the, there would be, the, the MSM would, would turn the, the demagoguery up to 11. But because he only shot white guys, they can't really do that. They're trying to. But they, so they're still trying to play the race card. And it's just, it's not working as well. Here's another headline from CNN. Uh, Kyle Ritt, what, what Kyle Rittenhouse's tears reveal about white America. They say, Kyle Rittenhouse, the 18-year-old on trial in Kenosha, Wisconsin, for shooting three people and killing two of them, represents the epitome of white privilege in America, run amok. White privilege? This guy was having people tell him they were going to murder him, chase him down, and point guns at his head. And then only then did he shoot them in self-defense. And he's still on trial. That's white privilege? In a sane society, this would never have gone to trial. In a really sane society, when you've got three criminals attacking a 17-year-old boy, criminals with a long rap sheet, serial child rapists, that sort of thing, it wouldn't, it's not that we would put Kyle Rittenhouse on trial, we'd give him an award. We'd put a ribbon around his neck. But he has white privilege. And so maybe he'll get through this trial by the skin of his teeth. CBS Morning tweeted out that Kyle Rittenhouse, quote, murdered two men. They said they reported this as fact. Of course, the trial is there to determine whether or not he murdered two men. And all the evidence says he didn't murder them. But, but CBS News, this is network news, just reports it as fact that he's guilty. So I guess the trial is superfluous. Now, this is not really working. This is not really, I made this point on backstage the other night. This is not really working because every single detail here is in Kyle Rittenhouse's favor. The kid didn't take a bad shot. Every single second of this interaction, which was captured on drones, and actually there was quite a bit of evidence that we actually hadn't even been told about in the public before the media completely uh, convicted him in the court of public opinion. Everything was in his favor here. And still it's close. If he had done anything wrong, if he'd fired one bad shot, if he had been a little bit reckless, if he had, this would be a completely different story. It's 
The real, the race card is really not working. They're so desperate now. They're trying to accuse the judge of being a racist because he made a joke about the supply chain. What time do you want to spend? Uh, let's hope for one o'clock. I don't know. The uh, hope the Asian food isn't coming. It's on. Isn't on one of those boats in Long uh, Long Beach Harbor. Um, but let's uh, aim for one o'clock. So. They were having some Asian food for lunch that day at the trial, and the judge made a nerdy dad joke about the supply chain. He says, oh, well, you know, I I hope the Asian food is not uh, on the container ships with all those other Asian products in the Long Beach Harbor, because then we won't get it. Ha, ha, ha. Right? It's not not exactly Don Rickles, okay? But (laughs) he's no Bob Hope, but it's a perfectly fine anodyne little joke, and they're saying it's racist. It's racist. Why, what it, why is it racist? Because you mention a people? Did you mention that Asian goods come from Asia? You make a little joke. It's, it, it, whatever it is, anytime a white guy ever says anything about race that we, and if we don't like that guy, then whatever he said is racist. Not persuading anybody. And, and frankly, what I, I mean, this gets back to the election point here. I think this stuff redounds to the benefit of Republicans and conservatives if we can press that advantage. If we, if we just run on this, if we run on the Kyle Rittenhouse trial and the character assassination of people with the R word, with the racist word who, who do not deserve that word at all. And we run on critical race theory in schools and we run on little boys and girls being told that they're evil because of the color of their skin. And we run on little boys and girls being told that they're not really the sex that they are. And we run on little boys and girls being told to mask up constantly and not see any smiling faces. If we run on this kind of cultural stuff, we're going to win. Okay. But the Republican party is just too nervous. They're so cowardly. They don't ever want to be called racist. It's the worst thing you can be called in America today. They don't want to be called that. Even if it's disingenuous, even if it's not true, even if it's as frivolous as someone accusing this judge of racism for making a joke about Asian food. And it's not even actually a joke about Asian food. It's a joke about the supply chain. They, they want to play it safe. And if they play it safe, they're going to safely lose. And if they get a little more aggressive, they're going to have a far better chance of winning. Speaking of race as a political issue, the North Dakota governor right now just banned critical race theory from schools. And you're seeing a lot more of these bans cropping up. So the, the devil's always in the details. What, what is actually being banned here? Because what the left is going to say is there's no such thing as critical race theory. What is critical race theory? They retreat into nominalism. They say, oh, I don't know, who even knows what the, that term means? Meanwhile, they know what that term means. They've been pushing critical race theory for decades. And that the, out of the other side of their mouth, they'll say critical race theory is great and we need to push it. And then from the other side, they'll say, no, it's not even being taught in schools and it's not really anything and it doesn't really exist. So here's the text of it, of the rule. A school district or public school may not include instruction relating to critical race theory in any portion of the school's required curriculum or any other curriculum offered by the district or the school. For purposes of this section, critical race theory means the theory that racism is not merely the product of learned individual bias or prejudice, but that racism is systematically embedded in American society and the American legal system to facilitate racial inequality. That's a pretty good definition. You know, I've got a book somewhere here around my desk. I've got basically the definitive book of essays and 
uh, documents outlining critical race theory from Kimberly Crenshaw onward. But that's pretty good. That's a pretty good description of it. And that should not be taught in schools. And this is something Republicans and conservatives should embrace. They don't want to because they're all about the free marketplace of ideas and liberty and, you know, which isn't really liberty, but a kind of licentiousness masquerading as a liberty and the idea that we should never ban any, any phrase or word or anything because we've, we've gone way too far in the other direction on free speech. And we, we actually have kind of taken free speech beyond its historical boundaries and philosophical coherence. And now we say you should be able to say anything you want, but you shouldn't be able to say anything you want, especially not in high schools and middle schools and elementary schools. There have to be limits here. And yeah, now, now what this needs is teeth though. Take the DeSantis lesson. It's not enough to pass the, the law. It's not enough to say, okay, now we've banned critical race theory. No, some school is going to violate that. Probably most schools are going to violate that. And what then? You got to fire the teachers or the administrators or both. And you've got to go through the long legal process and you've got to take it to court and you've got to get the win. DeSantis bans the mask mandates, the blanket mask mandates. And then the school suspends this girl and then she keeps, keeps it up. And she keeps it up. She gets suspended 38 times. And DeSantis goes on national television with her. And he fights them in court. And then finally, finally, the law's got some teeth. That's what's going to have to happen here in North Dakota. You can't take that, that easy little win. You've got to push it so that it actually can be effective. On another big campaign issue, it's not, it's not just the cultural stuff, right? It's not just CRT and the gender theory that is going to help us. Biden is losing on every single issue right now, notably inflation, because people are seeing it when they buy their groceries, when they go to the gas pump. I don't know that much about grocery shopping. I do it very infrequently in my house, but I went to pick up some things at the grocery store yesterday, and even I noticed it. Prices are going way up on everything, plus store shelves are, are emptying out. This is a big campaign issue. First, the Democrats denied it. Then, they downplayed it. Now they're saying, actually, it's like, it's either not a, not a big deal or it's actually sort of a good thing. Stephanie Rule from MSNBC. Steph, it's great to see you. As you say, inflation's over 6% numbers we haven't seen in more than 30 years. So how much higher can these prices go and when do you see them coming down? Well, listen, Willie, nobody knows exactly when they're going down, but you have to put all this in perspective. This inflation is not in isolation, and the government predicted it was going to be a challenging recovery, recovery all tied to COVID. So it's why you see things like that expanded child tax credit. You've got the families of over 60 million kids on average getting $430 a month for people on fixed incomes, older people on Social Security. They're getting those fixed payments adjusted next year of 5.9% for inflation. And the dirty little secret here, Willie, while nobody likes to pay more, on average, we have the money to do so. Household savings hit a record high over the pandemic. We didn't really have anywhere to go out and spend. This is actually, you know, look, you look at all this inflation and actually, maybe it's just because you guys got so much money, huh? You guys, you're, you're actually doing great. You're doing great. Did you know that? And look, the people who are on the government dole and rely on, not, not just on the dole as though they're welfare cases, but people who have paid into the system who are now on fixed incomes from the state, the state's going to give you a little bit more money. You know, they're going to print, they're going to print up a lot more money. You know, the thing that got us into this mess in the first place, they're going to do more of that. So it's fine. It's fine. And we've got, we're all really rich and it's really not a big deal. 
I don't think that's a winning campaign line for Democrats. I, I don't. I don't think, hey, you're complaining about the gas prices and, the, and your Thanksgiving dinner costs. and yeah, well, well, shut up. You're fine. You're rich. Are you? I don't know. I don't think people are prepared for record high inflation. It doesn't matter how much, whether you've got a really modest resources or whether you're quite wealthy. I mean, you tend to scale your lifestyle to those things. And so when prices go up 10%, 20%, in some cases they're doubling, $7 gas in California, that's going to have an effect on you. Now, speaking of campaigns, I got to get to this story before we go. I'll at least touch on it. There's a rumor that New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, former New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, disgraced New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, might run for Attorney General of New York. So he's not going to run for governor. There's already a governor there and multiple other people are running for governor, including the current Attorney General. So Andrew Cuomo, who already was the Attorney General, might run for that post again, according to reports. Now, is this true? Is this real? It sounds like he's floating the idea of it. All I will say on this point, because people are laughing, oh my gosh, this disgraced governor, he's now under sexual investigation. He, there's no way he could, don't count this guy out. Don't count him out. He's persistent. The Cuomos have dominated New York politics for the better part of 40 years. Don't count him out. Persistence is the key here. And the Democrats know persistence and they've used it very effectively. And the Republicans who are winning right now are persistent as well. And all the rest of us, all those of us who are not governors or senators, but all the rest of us here who care about the direction of the country, we should take note too. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. See you tomorrow. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Andrew Klavan Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Ben Davies. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Supervising producer, Mathis Glover. Production manager, Pavel Vidovsky. Editor and associate producer, Danny D'Amico. Associate producer, Justine Turley. Audio mixer, Mike Coromina. And hair and makeup by Cherokee Hart. Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production Copyright Daily Wire 2021. John Bickley here, Daily Wire Editor-in-Chief. Wake up every morning with our new show, Morning Wire. On today's episode, a federal court strikes a major blow to Biden's vaccine mandate, the latest developments on the COVID front, and Britney Spears is freed from conservatorship. Join us and get the facts first on the news you need to know with our show, Morning Wire. Morning Wire. 